Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and in this episode of Enterprising Families I have Bilal Zain and he is joining me to talk about all things family office, what a family office is, why it exists and all the stuff in between including integrating next gens and finding out how a family office can work for the best for the family business or the family enterprise and they can both grow together to become something that can preserve a family's wealth. Welcome Bilal. Yeah, thank, thank you, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you on, on your webcast. Um, I've set up uh, my first family office in 2001. I was coming from the family business and serving a family and their operating business. And they asked me to look at their assets and they diversifying their assets and then slowly looking at all their other wealth. And um, this is how I started my journey in setting up uh, the full, I mean, fully fledged family office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through the journey from day one about learning what does it take to have a family office. And mm-hmm. what we all know today is that once you have seen one family office, you have seen only one family office. So this is the, I mean, the one thing which every family knows that, I mean, they are unique. However, I mean, the one common and main ingredient of family office is the serving of a family and their wealth needs. And for that, I mean, what, what we mean by wealth is uh, the family wealth is the financial capital, obviously, and the human capital and the social capital. Mm-hmm. And I can add to that the emotional capital that recently has proven very important, especially in the, in the COVID time. And we had to do a lot of emotional support and emotional capital for, for the families. Mm-hmm. So in my view, the, the, I mean, the family office is a go-to destination for the families. It can be as wide and as specific depending on the needs of, of the family mm-hmm. and depending on who that family office would be serving in terms of generations and individuals. So historically, the family office, I mean, that we know today, I mean, existed. It's not something new. I mean, other, I mean, family of wealth were served differently mm-hmm. and they were having that uh, under originally what I call the embedded family office, which was in the business. So this is how originally it started for most generations and, and most uh, most families. Uh, however, it's, however it's, uh, it has uh, shifted slowly to having more services done for, for this family through their, I mean, through their team. And it became slowly a single family office. And then with time, I mean, some families wanted to be a commercial want to have that as a commercial activity and became a multifamily office. So through that three-phase approach, there are actually nine types of family offices that you can uh, I mean, consider. The, we can start by the, I mean, the personal assistant, if you like. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a little bit more uh, professional. We have the, the concierge lifestyle manager. Mm-hmm. And you merge then into looking at the financial assets, and usually the first phase would be for those families to work with their, I mean, private bankers. Mm-hmm. And from that, you can move into 
the family business office, whereby the, the, the family starts to, to link the family office to their enterprising business. Mm -hmm. And then they see where they can benefit from, from that. And usually it's about structuring and, and governance. And then we have the administrative office, whereby they start structuring what I call the administrative office, which is structuring their assets and uh, the wealth uh, transfer. It means that you will have the, the proper legal entities, trusts, and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then you move into the, the family investment office, whereby you start having professional investment approach, as opposed to having you know sporadic approach to investments. And then you, you move into the fully-fledged family office, whereby you start adding all the other services that the family are uh, looking to perform before possibly moving into multifamily office, which becomes commercial and only few move into the multifamily office. So this is this is the brief. However, the, the, the most important thing is to understand what are the services that you can cover. Mm -hmm. And as I've said earlier, it's not fixed. I mean, the, the Rolodex of, of services is, I mean, could be anything. But the, the, main, the main important I mean, part to understand is that you have to cover few services that are mandatory, which is the, the financial assets, definitely, mm -hmm. but as well the other needs of, of the family. So not, not in any particular order. You should have the financial assets. You should look at the, I mean, the, the, the managing of the investments. You should look at risk. You should mm -hmm. look at uh, tax, wealth transfer, mm -hmm. insurance, governance, philanthropy, education, household, concierge and lifestyle, and what I call the, you know, the collectibles or, or the, I mean, the other assets of the family, as well as the real estate. I mean, all of that and, uh, and more can be covered in the family office. So the key attributes to a family office are very common and they should be considered carefully. Mm -hmm. First, the knowledge. I mean, the, the family office should have the knowledge or should have access to knowledge. You cannot have the knowledge in-house of all those services that you provide. Mm -hmm. You should have access to the best-in-class service and knowledge. That's, that's one. Two, flexibility. The family office should be very flexible. What, what's required today could be slightly different tomorrow, but definitely it will be different in, in 10 years' time when you have different generations. So you should be very flexible and very agile. And that has as well proven in the COVID, whereby, you, I mean, the family office needed to react quickly. Mm -hmm. The third part is empathy and high emotional intelligence. You're dealing with human beings. You have to be very talented. You have to have empathy and emotional intelligence. You have to be very service oriented. What you would be asked to do sometimes would not fit in what I call a, a corporate service. I mean, you have to be service oriented. You have to deliver a service ab above all. And then important uh, attributes should be the trust. The trust is very important for those families. I mean, mm -hmm. they are entrusting you with their assets, with their life, with their secrets. So they have to trust you and you have to be very confidential. Mm -hmm. And by doing all of that, you have to, I mean, take into consideration that, I mean, the family office is a small team usually, and it could be very challenging to keep all of that while delivering the service. Mm. So that, that's that's in, in, in brief about you know the, the, the family office. About what the family office is. Yes. And so when you look at family office, who should be considering having a family office? Like you said, it's it's it starts in its varying degrees. You can start off with the PA, move on to concierge and so forth and so forth. 
when should a family or an individual start thinking of setting up the larger family office that is outside just the PA and the concierge or the private bank, but an office that is dedicated to managing their family, their family's wealth and the family's assets? Yeah. I mean, as, as the word says, it's, it's family. So, the, I mean, historically, we have the patriarch or the entrepreneur that starts with the wealth. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's, that's a common uh and a lot of patriarch or, or entrepreneurs, they they have their wealth and then they want to distribute their wealth. So they are investment oriented or I mean entrepreneurs in, in their approach. And they I mean they don't really to pass on the, the wealth. The minute I mean the family or the patriarch or matriarchs thinks of path, passing on the wealth, we start thinking about having a, a proper family office. And, and for that, I mean, there are two two routes. You can pass pass the wealth through just setting up trusts and giving all the assets to trustees, mm-hmm. and that becomes very passive. Some other families they believe that no, they want to be very active, and they want more services than just putting all the assets into trust and then handing over the management of the assets to the trustees. So the minute the family considers that they have a legacy, mm-hmm. the minute the family considers that they want to pass on wealth to the next generation. The minute they they believe that they are looking for bespoke services and they want confidentiality, this is when the family starts thinking about having a family office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that makes sense. And when they're looking at having a family office, how should they be con- how should they be looking at the longevity of this office? Because Ultimately, you have some people who set up a family office and they think, well, it's for it's for, hand, for helping me now in this space. But how can yes. they set it up in a, in, in a way that it looks as a long-term goal? Is it an actual business vehicle within itself? Okay, I mean, some people look at it as a, an actual uh, business vehicle, but I mean, let me ask, I mean, answer the question by, having those questions that the family they should answer before setting up the family office. I mean, as, as I've said, I mean, they should be very clear about who this family is to start with. So when we say family, who is the family? Which members of the families are going to be served, are going to be part of that journey? What is the main reason of, for setting up the office? Is it just a, a, a me too? Is my I mean, because my cousin has one or my, my friend has one, I need to have one or mm-hmm. it's a, we have a, a need and then it's different. And then once we establish that, we have to go into the scope. So what is really that I'm, I'm looking for for that? I mean, what's the real scope that I'm looking at? How many of the family members are interested in actually supporting the family office or joining the family office? That's important. I mean, especially at the time of setting up the office, that has to be reviewed with time because with the generations, I mean, you'll have new generations coming in. Some of them would be interested in joining, some of them are not. So we need to review that. Mm. How does the wealth need to be operated? How much liquidity we need? What are the liquid, non-liquid? So we need to design all of that for, for the family. How to how do we submit the, the wealth to, to the family uh, in terms of are we just paying dividends? Are we getting them involved in the operation? Are we getting them involved in, uh, in the investment? So, I mean, what's the interaction? And obviously, what are the other, f- I mean, services that individual family members need? Based on that, you can then design, I mean, the, the whole the whole services for that family office. Mm. So, I was just about to say yeah. something that you said that really made 
sense to me, um, which hadn't actually hit me until you said it, is the fact that when a family office is sometimes set up, it's set up by a patriarch or um, the, the key principal who is the founder of the business that uh, has managed to grow this business to a substantial business. But as it grows uh, multi-generationally, the family office has to serve many families. So the family in itself, um, for example, um, I'll look at myself. I have um, two daughters and a son. Obviously, if I set up a family office, it will be serving my myself and my children. But as a pass on, as a hereditary legacy thing, and as a preservation of wealth, the family office will automatically be serving my children and their families. And we, I need to look at their families as separate families to the initial family that was me and the children. And they, a lot of the values may be the same. And we may have set up a, a good governance structure, which, which is really important in this case, because to be able to have multiple families sharing the same family office and sharing the same family and saying we're working together can't be that easy. I mean, you, you touch on something very important. I mean, two things. I mean, the size of the family to start with and, and, and the governance. So the size of the family definitely uh, ha has a great uh, importance in designing the office. Mm. And this is why, I mean, for what I call smaller family when you're on the first, second generation, it's very flexible. It's very, uh, I mean, very thin. I mean, you just provide the services for, for those families. However, the governance becomes very challenging because, I mean, at the first and second generation, you still have the entrepreneur mentality mm -hmm. and you still have the entrepreneur approach to, you know, to, to everything that you do in life. Mm -hmm. And that's challenging because it becomes very difficult to, to put that properly in writing. I mean, as the family grows, you, you would be definitely required for proper governance to have the proper family charter, the family council, which is at the base of the family before we move into the family office. And this is where the family office becomes very handy and very helpful because, I mean, the family office would facilitate all of that. Mm -hmm. So the size definitely matters I mean, in terms of the family because the governance become more fluid, but they will be happy. As you have more generation coming, the governance has to be more structured and you have to really design it. Otherwise, I mean, we, we all know the, the saying, I mean, from short to short in three generations, you, you lose all the, all the assets, uh, whereby only 3% of you know, wealth is passed on to the third generation, as we mm -hmm. all know. So, so the advantages is to, to have the governance in place, to have the investment in place to have professional approach to have uh, a conflict resolution in place that's very important we need to understand what do we do when we have a conflict and what would be the, the best way to, to approach those conflicts and uh, how do we deal with family splits as well is it, is it included in the mandate of the family office to consider it as solutions for 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 the family and uh, then the family dynamics would be part of the design mm -hmm. based on that the family office would be required to look at the resources needed and they will design and, and provide accordingly. Mm -hmm. and, so, uh -huh. Longevity is a very key term for the family office. If someone is thinking of creating a family office as, as a business for, you know, for five, 10, 10 years, that's possible, but that's not the best use of, fa of a family office. Longevity mm -hmm. is very important to have a sustainable family office. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And obviously, um, family office, the majority of the time is staffed by members that are not part of the family. Ideally, um, you'd have competent professionals helping to run the family office and helping the family to manage their assets and and, um, the various interests they may have. What is really important um, when building that relationship between the family and the family office, also in consideration that as a, a generation moves from one generation to the next, so does a generation of staff within that family office context. And how best is it to manage building that relationship and creating relevance within the relationship as it transcends and goes to, from generation to generation? Well, a very important question. I mean, uh, historically, uh, the family office starts with a trusted person that the family trusts, like, can work with, and they, they trust that person to, to run their private affairs and their, their family office. Um, that's mainly from, from my experience still applicable to a lot of uh, um, Middle Eastern, Asian and possibly African families. You'd uh, know someone that you trusted, either your lawyer or, or, your, uh, or your accountant, and then say, okay, you run that family office. That means that this person is trusted, mm-hmm. definitely should be capable as well to start with. And then that person will gather around him, uh, him or her the, the resources needed to, I mean, to serve that family. So it starts with a trusted person. However, that person, no matter how great they are and what they do, they cannot cover all aspects of, of the wealth of, of the family. What they should be good at is to uh, outsource properly, project manage properly, uh, and, and deal with complicated matters in a confidential and professional way. So they need to know who to go to. So definitely, we need to go out to, I mean, what I call, I mean, specialist. I mean, when you talk about tax, tax is complicated. I mean, few family offices have a tax expert within the office, unless, I mean, you, you are, you know, the very large family offices. And that's another thing, the size of the family office. Are we talking about the virtual size, which is one to two to, to five persons or fully fledged, fully uh, uh, employed, I mean, uh, family office where 20 to 50 uh, individuals, professional individuals are serving the family. I've seen both. So the, the smaller the family office, you will have to rely on professional people, professional uh, advisors, professional uh, uh, companies to help you in some of the tasks that we do for, for the family office. And then as that grows, I mean, when, when the next gen wants to join the family office, that as well needs special approach because not because they are having only the name that they can join the family office, they should have the will and some expertise to join the family office. Otherwise they can be on the board, but not necessarily on the the executional part. And what are the challenges that you have seen that family offices face as they set up as well as, as they are running the, I mean, the first challenge would be, again, boundaries. I mean, again, two, two types of family offices. Family office with, uh, with families still having an operating business, is what I categorize as, as one, one type of, uh, of family offices. So the family are still 
operating their, I mean, their, their family business and they are heavily involved in that. And then the, the other family office type is the purely financial family offices. So the challenges for the first type of family offices is to keep the boundaries between the family business, the family, and uh, and the family office as well. So, or in, in a simplistic term, is to, to go back to the you know the uh, to the Davis uh, model, whereby we have the ownership, and then we have the the family, and then you have the corporate. Those boundaries have to be very well defined and very well clear at the beginning, at the outset. Otherwise, there will be a lot of challenges. So that that's one type of challenge. The other type of challenge would be the boundaries between the families themselves. They should know where it starts, where it stops, where the family is family, where the families are shareholders, where the families are managers as well. So that, that, that's, uh, that's uh, one type of challenge, which is linked directly or indirectly to, to the governance in this case. The other type of family office, which is purely financials, it becomes as well having uh, a conflict of interest between the asset managers and, and the family. You need to be very careful how to design the investment policy and how you approach the investments so that you don't have any conflict of interest. Reporting is very important, transparency is very important, and cost would become very important as well. In both cases, cost is always important for the families to understand that there is a premium to pay to have that service. That premium does not have to be very high, but there is a premium. Are they willing to pay for that? And how that premium will change with time? Is the, the quality that is important for the family, but as well that should come at a small price, that they should be comfortable and all the family members should be comfortable to pay that. Okay. And then looking at um, family offices as a governance tool, obviously um, the family charter and the, the family constitution is something that the family themselves sit down and create. How does the family office play in, in assisting um, manage the family governance or in assisting to weigh into the family governance and making sure that it is upheld? Yeah, the family office in this case is very handy. The family office is enabling that process. So the, I mean, the first thing that the family office can do and should do is to provide resources for the, for the family. So education to start with. The family office can bring in either professionals to educate the family or they can do in-house. I mean, I've done both. And you can have a one or two day uh, workshop with the family, educate them about, you know, the, I mean, the, the whole governance thing. Based on that educational uh, step, you start approaching advisors to, to help in the preparation of the constitution of the family council. So the family office here is an enabler, is a project manager, and is the entrusted unbiased person who's gonna keep the whole process fair. That's important as well, is, is to keep the, the, the process fair to all the family members. And the family ob office objective is to keep that in mind, a fair approach, professional approach, and to facilitate having the family charter and family council but not only at the beginning, but the maintenance of that. So going forward, the family office will organize, you know, the, the frequent uh, the meetings and events that you should have as a family. 
the family office will be the record keeper and will be the go-to person for any family member who either needs some clarification or who have missed on, on an event. So for, for, for that, I mean, it's very important to have two things, I mean, for the family governance. Again, having a clear structure in place, so going back to the three-circle model of the Davis, design a simple and easy governance policy. So if it's complicated, it would be very difficult for, you know, all generations and all members of the family to understand. It should be very easy and simple to understand. We should involve the family members in the process, from the patriarch to the family members who are relevant at the time of creating that, and that should be reviewed as the family grows. Avoid the conflict, again, by, uh, by proper communication, clarity, transparency, and review and adapt frequently. This is how it should be from the family perspective. But the family have to feel comfortable that the same applies to the family office itself. So what the family office is trying to help the family with, we should have the same thing in the family office. So we should have clear policies and procedures. We should have experts who are unbiased and, and transparent and trustworthy, but we should have checks and balances in place as well. So we should have an advisory board. We should have uh, proper monitoring uh, capabilities, proper reporting, and we should have the possibility of having an exit mechanism as well for the family office. If you don't have an exit, it's very challenging for both the family and the professionals who are running the family office to, to deal with an exit if it's not properly planned in advance. It can be challenging. Wow, there's just so much to unpack and yes. so little time. Thank you so, so much, Bilal, for joining me today and for just sharing with us insight into what a family office is, why it's important to have one, especially if you are managing multi-generational wealth and how a family office can actually be a tool that can help with family governance and can continue to bolster the family governance and, and keep the family on track in the, in, in the various investments that they have, which is the social invest, social investments and emotional investments, uh, monetary investments, as well as business investments. Did I get that right? Yes, <laughs> that's, that's correct. Perfect. Brilliant. Is there any last words that you'd like to share with our audience with regards to family office and what they should be looking at as they go forward and move into the space where they want to create a vehicle that is going to help them manage them, their family and their assets? Sure. I mean, unfortunately, the, the recent uh, pandemic has taught us a lot and, and, and the family office has proven its worth, if you like, for, for the families. Mm -hmm. So it was the time for the families to rely on their family officers. I mean, it happened to me, to a lot of colleagues, to a lot of uh, friends working in other family offices. I mean, it was the first point of contact. So the family office proved during the pandemic it's well worth having because it helped a lot the family on logistics, which is the basic requirement of, of those families early days in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But as well, reviewing, you know, the ownership, the, the, the governance and all of that. So flex, I mean, having the family office proved very worthwhile. So we should learn from that. What we should learn as well from this pandemic is uh, we have to be very flexible, very thin and very agile, mm -hmm. which was the, I mean, as I've said earlier, I mean, the family office in the majority, this is how they are by design. So it proved that it was very beneficial 
during the pandemic. However, what was uh, learned as well during the pandemic is to revisit all the governance and all the structure in place for the families. I mean, out of sudden, you have to fast track all the decisions. You have to fast track all the design that we had in place for the families in terms of their trust, in terms of their uh, uh, ownership. Before, when life is uh, as normal, I mean, you, you take things for granted. But with the pandemic, we had to revisit quickly and adapt where need be. And again, we should be mean, lean, uh, and I mean, we should have the, the, the means, I mean, and, and very lean and, and, and very proactive. So this is my last word. It should be the virtual family office is here now to stay. Mm -hmm. A lot of families are moving to virtual family offices, which means that uh, we, I mean, we don't meet in person, but as well, we don't meet in person with our advisors. And then we outsource a lot of things for, for the family. So mm -hmm. the pandemic is really an eye opener for all of us. So hopefully we will meet in person one day, but it's uh, it has proven very positive for the families. Most definitely. Thank you once again, Bilal. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Cindy.